We thank you for visiting Christian Bible Temple and pray the following message speaks to your heart. Lord, and le learn from his word the trust we all make like Mar Mary of Bethany today sitting at the Lord's feet listening to his voice. Amen? Because it is his word that we preach, not our, not our own. So let's ask his blessing as we begin. Our great and holy give, Heavenly Father, we come before your presence this day thanking you, Lord, once again for giving us the privilege to be gathered together to worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray, O oh Lord, that today your Holy Spirit will guide this service and give enlightening to every heart, every mind here today. As your word is taught and preached, that we may have understanding. Not only to have the understanding, but the will to apply what we hear in our lives. We pray for your blessing upon every person that has come so far and ask that you bless every family, every home, and every individual that is here today. <clears throat> we pray for this service and for the one to follow. We're so grateful we can be in a place where we can receive refreshment from your word and your Holy Spirit. Speak to our hearts this morning and guide our thoughts to understand and to be in harmony with your thoughts and learn these wonderful things that you have for us today. We commit it all into your hands and we ask, O oh Lord, for your strengthening for every person and also for those, perhaps if anybody comes through those doors today without the assurance of sins forgiven, without the knowledge of a, an eternal life in heaven, we pray that today they may make sure of that in their lives. Speak to us this morning, I pray, as we anxiously wait to hear your word. And we'll thank you again and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Let us open our Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Chapter 6. The book of Hebrews. Chapter 6. The last time that we <clears throat> touched upon the book of Hebrews, 
We had just begun the sixth chapter, which we said was a parenthesis, beginning from chapter 5, verse 11. Parenthesis, talking about and exhorting and encouraging uh, God's people about God's faithfulness to his promises. So let's review just quickly. Let's read together, starting from verse 1. I'll read all the way to verse 8. This is what the Word of God says. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And these we will do if God permits. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinks in the, which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. <clears throat> May the Lord bless this, the reading of his word. We see here in this first, these first eight verses we see the exhortation of the writer to press on to maturity. Okay? One of the uh, uh, dangers these Hebrew believers had was that they were thinking of going back to Judaism, to rabbinical Judaism. Okay? And they had already trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and Yeshua HaMashiach as their Savior. But now, because of the persecution they were going through, they were tempted to go back uh, to Judaism, to the temple, and once persecution was over, they thought they could come back again and continue their life as before, get saved all over again, as it were. The, uh, the writer is telling them that this is not uh, the way it is. So if you have your notes there, I hope you all received the notes that I gave you today, we gave you today. Uh, I want to start by saying that this chapter of Hebrews is perhaps one of the most debated and mis misinterpreted portions in all of the Bible. Some people uh, try to teach the loss of salvation from this chapter. And you know, the Bible cannot teach one thing in one place and teach something else somewhere else. When you study the Bible, you have to realize that the Bible does not contradict itself. The Bible complements itself. And things must be uh, studied in context. The text must be studied in its context. You heard me say time and again that a text out of its context is a pretext. And that's what a lot of people fall into the trap of misinterpreting the Bible because they don't read not only the text, and the context, they don't even read the background of the book. Like in this case, the book of Hebrews. Why was Hebrews written? Okay, God, everything God does has a purpose. 
God doesn't write things just because, or he says things just because he feels like it. There's a purpose in it, okay? So we see here that the writer is exhorting um, the, uh, the, the believers here to leave behind the elementary principles. What, which are the elementary p- principles of Christ? He enumerates them right here, and I put them right at the beginning of your notes there. Okay? Six basic truths. Okay? Six basic truths. Let me clarify the word perfection here. When it says, let us go on to perfection, is the same word used as the word full age in chapter 5, verse 14. It's the same word in the Greek. And it does not mean being flawless. It means being mature. Okay? So what he's saying here, let us go on to maturity. What do you have? What do you have mostly in churches today? You have a whole bunch of babies. And I'm not talking about somebody who got saved a short time ago. I'm talking about people that have been in church for 20 and 30 years, and they continue being babies because they do not grow. Okay? And why they, don't they grow? It's because they don't study the Word. All right? That's why we're reading the Psalms every service before the preaching, because most Christians, unfortunately, don't read the Bible on their own. Okay? I don't know if this is hangover from Catholicism, but we got to learn to read the Bible on our own, besides coming to church and hearing the Word of God. Amen? Somebody came up to me not too long ago, and he said to me, you have to, I told him, that you have to read the Psalms. And this person has been coming to church for years. He says, I don't understand the Psalms. That worries me. My question is, what have you been listening to for so many years? You don't understand the Psalms? Well, then ask. Which Psalm don't you understand? Every Psalm says something different. Okay? You don't understand something? Don't give up. Continue. And if you don't know, ask. That's why you have a pastor here. Now, I know I was away this month, but that's this month. It's not every day that I am here all the time. I'm part of the furniture. Okay? So ask. And if you ask, you will learn. It's not a matter of you understanding or not understanding. It's not a matter of having the pastor or not having the pastor. It's a matter about the matter is interest. We have to have an interest in what we study, what we read. And this is no bragging, but just this past month, past month that I was at home, I read five books from my library. Five books. One of the, those I read, I got saved all over again. Okay? Do you think you're going to come to a point where you're going to learn, know everything? I'm only kidding. I didn't get saved all over again. But in a way, in a matter of speaking, you know, I learned so much. So we have here these six basic truths, all right, which are what? Well, the first one is, let us go on to perfection. Let us go on, rather, on to maturity. That's a basic thing. The first doctrine is what, this is the first doctrine that needs to be left behind. We need to be mature, Yeah, so, okay, let's stop talking about it and do it. 
That's what the writer is saying here in so many words. The second doctrine to be left behind is faith toward God. So what does, does, what does that mean? That we don't talk about faith in God? Of course we do. But what he's saying is let's stop talking about the same things over and over again. Some people never get out of John 3.16. Okay? That's what he's saying. The Apostle Paul said we must preach or teach the whole counsel of God. Not just one thing, one doctrine or two. Leave the basic things aside and let's go on to better things. That's why he stopped here. Because he was going to start speaking about the priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. After the order of Melchizedek. And he realizes, led by the Holy Spirit, that these believers were not ready to listen to that. So he makes a parenthesis to exhort them and to tell them, let's grow on to, go on to maturity. And he picks up the subject again in chapter 7. So the exhortation he gives here is first, let us go on to maturity. The second thing is to, to be left behind is faith toward God. The third doctrine to be left behind is teaching of baptisms. Notice that it's in the plural. It's not talking about believers' baptism. It's talking about ceremonial washings of the Levitical order. The fourth doctrine is the laying on of hands. Which in the Old Testament meant what? Imparting blessings. And the practice was continued in the New Testament. Okay, and the second meaning of the laying on of hands was for the appointment to an office, <coughs> excuse me, or, or a special task like, like that of a priest. In the New Testament, the laying on of hands talks about in, uh, in, instituting, establishing elders and deacons in the church. The fifth basic doctrine is the resurrection of the dead. Okay? And the sixth basic doctrine is eternal judgment. Those are just basic doctrines, basic beliefs. Now we talk about them because then look at what he says here in verse 3. And this we will do if God permits. In other words, we will talk about these things. We will not neglect them. But we need to leave them behind and press on to maturity. Are you following me? All right? So, all these things, these six things are the ABCs or the basis of the faith. And they are all milk and they should be settled once and for all in every believer's mind early in their spiritual life. These are the things that must be left behind and press on to maturity. Now, look at verse 4. And this is where we're starting today. Verse 4, chapter 6, verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of, the, of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. And that's what people... Some churches and preachers use to teach you the laws of salvation. And that's where we're going to start now. The writer here deals with the danger of relapse in the walk with Christ. There's no going back. The Lord Jesus Christ said, He who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of the kingdom of God. In other words, once you made a commitment to Christ, there's no going back. Where are you going to go back to? Egypt? Where are you going to go back to? The world? Where are you going to go back to? Religion? 
That's what we came out of. So there's no going back. And this is one of the most misunderstood portions of the, in the New Testament. There are those, like I said before, who teach from these verses the loss of salvation. And if I uh, seem to be repeating myself, I am. And the reason is because I want you to understand that. Okay, it's important. Uh, others say that it refers to the sin of apostasy. The falling away before the Lord's return. And yet others say the people addressed here were not true believers. Let me say this to you just in passing. Every epistle in the New Testament was written to believers. Whether they were churches or individuals or groups. Is that clear? Now, does that mean that every person in each church and in every group were, they, were, were saved? Some of them probably were not. But he's not addressing the unsaved. He's addressing the saved. Amen? Okay. Now, the question is, which is it? What does it mean? First, the word apostasy is not used in this context. It's not used in this portion of scripture. Okay? The word means to, here is not apostasia in the Greek, but paraptosis, which means to fall alongside the way. Not to get away from the way, but to fall next to the way. Like when you're walking on the street and you trip over a bad piece of uh, cement or whatever and you fall. That's what he's talking about. Tripping and falling. So, secondly, always remember this when you study the Bible. Difficult passages must be interpreted by clearer passages. Amen? The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Always remember that. And give it enough time, the Bible will interpret, interpret itself. <clears throat> so, the doctrine of eternal security is very clearly taught in the scriptures. The Lord Jesus Christ says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He who hears my word and believes on him who sent me. So far we have the Son and the Father, right? Has, present tense, everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation, that's future, but is passed from death unto life. That's the past. So in John 5, 24, you have the three tenses. Past, present, future. The Lord says, if you believe in me, you have today. It doesn't say you shall have. No, you have today. From the moment you believe, you have eternal life. And God is not an Indian giver. He doesn't give you salvation and then take it away. Amen? You might do that when you give somebody a gift and then you want it back. But God doesn't do that. All right? And shall not come into condemnation. That gives me assurance about the future. But it's past. Action completed. Done already. From death unto life. The Lord says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them 
And remember, the verb, the present tense of the verb in the Greek is always continual action. And I'm giving unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, who is greater than all, no man shall pluck them out of his hand. I and the Father are one. Okay? And the Apostle Paul, at the end of the... Uh, uh, the, towards the end of the 8th uh, chapter of the book of Romans, tells us that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Neither death, nor life, nor principalities, nor things high, high up in the heavens, nor things under the earth. No, nothing shall separate us from the love of God. And he says, I am persuaded that nothing will separate us from the love of God. So, if the Bible teaches eternal security in one place, it's not going to teach the loss of salvation in another place. That's a contradiction of terms. And the Bible is not confused. Because God is not confused. Okay? Now, the writer begins with an affirmation. Look at 6, 4, uh, verse 4 says, for it is impossible for people, impossible for people described here to renew them again to repentance. The people addressed are described as having certain spiritual privileges. Yet they were in danger of relapsing. The writer exhorts them, this will not accomplish what they thought it would. That is, that they could relapse and be renewed later on. This is why this section begins with the word impossible, referring to this very thing. In the verses 4 and 5, the second part of verse 4 and verse 5, the writer enumerates the spiritual privileges. Remember how we saw the six basic truths? Now we have five, five spiritual privileges. Everyone that believes in Christ has these five spiritual privileges. And they are all of these privileges. I remember I, I tell you many times the most important part in a sentence is what? The what? In a sentence, you have article, noun, verb, adjective, adverb, preposition, so on. Which is the most important part? The verb. And the verbs in the Greek are very important. They're almost like in Spanish. Do you ever read verbs in Spanish? How many conjugations of verbs of a verb we have in Spanish? We have quite a bit, quite a bit right? That's why Americans, English-speaking people, have a very hard time when they speak Spanish because they cannot understand still the concept of the verb, the tense of the verb. Instead of saying, ¿Por qué no toman asiento? What do they say? ¿Por qué no tomen asiento? Yo venir mañana. And you know, every Indian doesn't speak the same way. But the thing is, it's hard. Why? Because in English you have present, you have past, and perfect. Everything else is resolved with the auxiliary verbs. Shall, will, do, have. Should, would. Right? That's it. But not in Spanish. In Spanish you have presente, pasado, perfecto, imperfecto, futuro perfecto, futuro imperfecto, 
plus cuán perfecto. Right? And you have different voices. You have the indicative, you have the subjunctive, you have the optative, and you have the the one that gives a command. What's the name of it? Imp no, uh, uh, imperative. Thank you. I couldn't think of the word. Okay? You have all these different voices. And you have singular and plural. In English you say, I have and they have. Not in Spanish. Yo tengo, nosotros tenemos. And then try to conjugate the verb ir. That's an imperfect verb. That's a real lulu for somebody who doesn't speak Spanish. Now, you know, Greek is the same way as far as that is concerned. Verbs are complex, though the Greek language is very orderly. Okay? Why did I say all that? I said all that because the verbs in this section here are all in the aorist tense. What does that mean? It means that they emphasize completed action. So when you get saved, the privilege that you have are already completed. Am I getting too deep for you? You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I want you to understand. Because I am of the conviction that God gave each one of you a mind. And we all need to use it. So we don't form cobwebs inside here. How do you avoid cobwebs? By allowing the gears to rotate. And what happens when you do that, you think? You think. A lot of people love the word amusement. Everybody wants to get amused. Do you know what amusement means? David says, I muse, O Lord, in your word. Means I think or I meditate. So amusement is negative. When, you get, when you're being amused, it means no thinking, no meditation. You're not thinking. Amen? That's as simple as that. And God wants us to muse or amuse? Muse. I know it's an effort. I know some, for some people it's a luxury to think. <laughs> but please try to because you, that will be to your benefit. Okay? So here we see that uh, the, the privileges that we have. First, which is the first uh, spiritual privilege? First, they were once for all enlightened. What does it say in your, in your Bible? It says, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened... It should have been once for all enlightened. Because that's how it is in the Greek. How many times you got enlightened when you got saved? Just once for all time. Now, true, you grow spiritually. But you were enlightened. You come to a knowledge of the Lord. You realize who the Lord is. Remember our friend Nick Hall from Wisconsin? He says his grandfather, he's still in a home. And he said to him, he went to the home one day, and he says, I just realized, he's 83 years old, I just realized who Jesus is. Now I understand who he is. 
He's been going to services in the home. A man that never wanted to do, have anything to do with God. Of course, his concept of God was, was his family knew misconceptions like so many people have. And now he, all of a sudden, he was enlightened. Okay? And when you came to Jesus, you were enlightened. You realized who he is. So the first is we were once for all enlightened. And it refers to this, our salvation, just like these Hebrew believers. They heard the gospel and believed, and thus they were regenerated. The same verb is used later on in chapter uh, 10, verse 32 of Hebrews, where the writer says here, but, but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, that's the same word, you were illuminated. It refers to the experience of true salvation, which occurs when a person takes hold of the knowledge of the truth. It happens once for all. And is not repeated. When the, uh, John wrote the gospel, bearing his name, he says these words, <coughs> excuse me, in the introduction. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Talking about the Lord Jesus. Okay? The Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthian believers, tells them this. For it is the God, it, it is, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And he also repeats something similar in the book of Ephesians. He says, the eyes, he was praying that your eyes, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Okay? So time and again in the scriptures, we're told that we're enlightened. This is a privilege. We were enlightened once for all. The word once is used repeatedly throughout this epistle. Now the second spiritual privilege is they have tasted the heavenly gift. Tasted carries the idea of experience. These Hebrew believers had experienced the gift of salvation. Okay? Remember when the, uh, the Apostle Peter fell asleep on the uh, roof of a house in uh, uh, Jaffa? Remember that? And he saw the dream. And he heard the voice telling, telling him, Peter, <clears throat> get up, kill, and eat. And saw a sheet coming down with all manner of unclean beasts. And Peter said, Lord, Lord, because I never... Have eaten anything unclean. Yeah, he was a Jew. He could not eat anything unclean. And the Lord said to him, what I, what I have cleansed, don't you dare call unclean. Of course, he was not talking about physical food. He was talking about the Gentiles. He was preparing him to go to the Gentiles. And sure enough, as soon as he came out of the dream, people from Cornelius came looking for him, and they took him from Jaffa to Caesarea Maritime, where Cornelius lived. 
and Cornelius had seen an angel telling him, send for Peter, he's going to come, he's going to tell you this, right? Peter, right later on, when he wrote his epistle, <clears throat> wrote these words. We all read the verse, chapter 2, verse 2, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Then it says, he says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Have you tasted that the Lord is gracious? Only a person that is saved can taste that the Lord is gracious. Talks about experience. You may know everything up here, but have you tasted it? Have you experienced the Lord's graciousness? Okay? And that's exactly what also the writer of the book of Hebrews was saying in chapter 2, verse 9. But we see Jesus, he said, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. In other words, what does that mean? It means that he tasted death, he experienced death for every man. Now, that's something that doesn't fit in here. Imagine that. He experienced death. For everyone, not only every one of us, but for the whole of the, of the human race. That's unfathomable. You cannot measure that. Okay? But the idea here is that tasted means to have the experience. These believers, these Hebrew believers, tasted salvation just like Jesus tasted death and Peter tasted food. They partook, and that is they ate. They experienced the heavenly gift. Gift means either the Messiah or it means salvation. Either way, these were saved people, people who had experienced true salvation. So God is speaking to us this morning. This book of Hebrews applies to the believers today. And what is the Lord exhorting us to do? He's exhorting us to press on to maturity. Okay? Telling us that we've had all these privileges. Okay? We were once for all enlightened. Now we tasted the heavenly gift. The third spiritual privilege is they have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. How can you become a partaker of the Holy Spirit if you're not saved? Now some people say, well, uh, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit left David. Do not take from me thy Holy Spirit. Or the Holy Spirit came upon Samson and left him, or came upon Saul and left him. But where are all those examples? In the New Testament or the Old Testament? The Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the ministry of the Holy Spirit was not the same as the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. The Lord told His disciples that the Holy Spirit was going to come, and He was going to be he's with you, and He shall be in you. And then he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Is he talking there about God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit? I will never leave you nor forsake you. The answer is yes. Because again, God the Father doesn't do something that is opposite to what God the Son or differently 
from what God the Son does or the Holy Spirit does. The three persons of the Trinity do the same thing. Who created the heavens and the earth? The Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit? Yes. Who performed? Who came up with a plan of salvation? The Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit? The answer is yes. Who loves you? Got the Father, got the Son, or got the Holy Spirit? The answer again is yes. Amen? Okay. Partaker means what? Sharer. It's like you own shares in a company. You're a partaker. And this is another's actual spiritual experience and denotes it denotes real participation. And it always means participation. Just as Jesus became partaker of flesh and blood, so these people became partakers of the Holy Spirit. And so have we become partakers of the Holy Spirit. They had a real relationship with him. And this can only be possible when he indwells a person which makes him or her a believer. So who is the writer writing to? Believers or unbelievers? Believers. Okay? The fourth spiritual privilege is that they have tasted the good word of God. Again, they experienced the word of God. Word here means the spoken word, referring to the personal character and personal experience in it. Therefore, having personal salvation and relationship with the Lord, these people realize the message came from God. Okay. Again, in 1 Peter, chapter 1, which, by the way, Peter is also addressing Jewish believers, just like the writer of Hebrews. Okay? And look what he tell, says to them. In verse 23, he says, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but, or, but incorruptible through the word of God which lives and abides forever. How do we become born again? Through the what? Tell me. Caught you. The what? The word. You have your Bibles there? Open to Peter chapter 1, verse 23. I don't want you leaving here today and going, oh, I don't know what he talked about. Yeah. Chapter 1, verse 23. And by the way, in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, twice, verse 3 and verse 23, you have the phrase, born again. And that is the only place where you find it in the whole of the Bible. Let's read it once again. All together... Follow me. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. You cannot get saved outside of the word of God. And look at the next chapter. Chapter 2 of 
1 Peter. As newborn babes, verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. If you have been saved, you will have hunger and thirst for the word of God. Did you ever see, most of you have children, right? Now, when your children were born, did you have to teach them how to drink milk? Did you tell them, now, this is how you do it? No, they teach you how to do it because they're all born with their instinct, which is a sign of life. Amen? Right? Well, you know what? Spiritually, it's the same thing. If you're born again, truly born again, you will have a hunger and a thirst for the word of God. If I don't read my Bible every morning, I feel something horrible is missing. And let me tell you, I've been saved for 46 and a half years. And I'm still reading the Bible, and it's still fresh, and it's still new, and I'm still learning, and I'm still realize, like Socrates, the more I study, the less I know. So don't sit back and say, oh, I, you know, I know the Bible. You don't know the Bible. I've heard men of God in their 80s saying the gospel, the gospel, and saying we have not even scratched the surface. I hope that motivates you to really make, make a serious effort to open your Bible on a daily basis and read. Read. That's why we're reading the Psalms here again. And we're reading Hebrews now. Okay? So, this is the fourth spiritual privilege. The fifth spiritual privilege is that they have tasted the powers of the age to come. Meaning that they once and for all tasted of the power to be manifested in the Lord's kingdom, the millennium. Powers here is the same word as miracles in chapter 2, verse 4. Again, tasted of it means they experience real rebirth in their lives and thus would experience the powers of the age to come. In other words, you got saved, you tasted that the Lord is good, you will experience the age to come in the Lord's kingdom. Okay? In your own life. The age to come was the common reference for the messianic kingdom in Jewish terms. And these powers will be manifested in their entirety during that age. And these five spiritual principles or experiences um, the, that these Hebrews believe, believers, these Hebrew believers have had, which prove they're real believers. So therefore, in verse 6 of Hebrews 6, where it says, if they fall away, like I said before, the word here is parapipto, meaning to fall in one's way, to fall away from adherence to the realities and facts of the faith. And it's found only here in the New Testament, nowhere else. Okay? If these believers were to fall away, it would be impossible to renew them again to repentance. Two reasons are given for this impossibility. First, because it would mean to crucify again for themselves the Son of God. 
It, if you fall away, how are you going to get back? He's saying. It's ridiculous. Do you expect the Son of God to be re-crucified? That's not going to happen. Okay? He's coming back, but not to be re-crucified. That happened once for all. And second, because it would mean to put him to an open shame. Re-crucifixion would put the Son of God to an open shame, thus it is impossible for them to do it. Okay? What these Hebrew believers needed to understand was that they could not fall away from faith in the Messiah and go back to Judaism until persecution passed and then be saved all over again. And this was not an option as they thought, for there is no new salvation that would erase their falling away, even if it was temporary. As said before, this will require a re-crucifixion of the Lord Jesus, which is a total impossibility. It would mean that Jesus' sacrifice was not enough to provide salvation in the first place, and it would be contradicting what it says in the next chapter of Hebrews, chapter 7, in verse 25, where it says, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. How does he save us? To the uttermost. We would say today to the nth degree. Do you think Jesus saves us half and half? He saved us to the uttermost. Okay? In view of this, they had only two options. Either press unto maturity or return to Judaism. The writer has been encouraging them to do the first and will continue to do uh, later on in the book the same thing. I'm not finished, but I've got to stop here because the time is gone. Next week we will be talking about the second option. We thank you for listening to this message and pray that the Word of God spoke to your heart. To listen to previous sermons, please visit us at www.cbttbc.com or anchor.fm forward slash cbt hyphen sermons.